welcome to Sunshine, Freedom and Flowers, the podcast where guests bring along three joys. You are joining us for Series 3, Episode 5, and with me always is my senior partner in audio crime, Drew Baxter. Hello. We haven't run out of people's joys yet. That's good, isn't it? We certainly haven't, no. And it's lots a good of people, thing lots too. of joys. Yeah, yeah. It's a very good thing, too. And today's is, is extra, extra exciting because oh, our... oh, oh, how lucky are we to actually get this person <laughs> very on our lucky podcast very very so lucky he's, he's so and, in demand at the minute and oh, the oh. timing the timing is uh, uh well just fantastic uh, we we had no idea uh, but all will be explained a little bit later in the program listeners you need to hang yeah. with us this is something we put together and then it's become slightly something else <laughs> It's really quite exciting. So anyway, before we get to that bit and, uh, and we ruin it too early, let's uh, go through the bit that Drew hates the most. And I think um, this, this could be a T-shirt. It could say Drew hates this the most on the front. And on the back, what it would tell you is that you can get this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts and Spotify. You can Google Sunshine, Freedom and Flowers and probably find it on other providers as well. And if you want to get in touch with us, we are available on social media. You can find us at SFF Podcasts on Twitter, at Sunshine Freedom Flowers Podcast on Instagram, or you can search Sunshine Freedom and Flowers Podcast on Facebook, and we've got a bit of a page on there as well. And I think there's just enough room on the back of the T-shirt to get all those things on for you, Drew, isn't it? Well, if it's a T-shirt to fit me, definitely. <laughs> With space for new social medias to be added later down the line. Now yeah, we're being lots, rude to each other. That's you can fair. hashtag, lots of hashtags, lots of hashtags. Yeah. So Drew, today's guest is, uh, it's actually a friend of yours. and Well, let's not go over the top. I don't really want to claim friendship with him because, uh, you know, uh, he's got a bit of a dubious character. <laughs> are you sure that's not, are you sure you didn't, you don't mean he just played a dubious character? Oh, right. Yes. Are you, of course, are you getting his character yeah. mixed up with? I'm, I'm getting him mixed up with his character now. Sorry. Sorry. You yes, are. Yes. Yeah. I think you are. Yeah. Yes. He's a lovely, he's a lovely fella. <laughs> he's nothing like this last character that he's played, uh, which is going to drive the listeners mad now trying to it, work it is, out. But I, what's really but exciting. They, but no, let me just tell you something. If they've tuned in for this episode, they've seen the name of the person and they've already Googled him and know what we're talking about yeah they should have done and and to yeah. be fair they should have done it anyway because because just because the last project that uh that we're aware of that this that our guest has been involved in is actually turned out to be one of the biggest things on tv in the last year but that's not Absolutely. the reason why we've booked him for no, the I, podcast. Well, I like you, you I know him, him even before that you yeah. know him anyway and actually both of us took part in a fantastic meisner workshop run by our guest a few years yeah. ago uh, where he came and gave his time and his expertise with a number of uh, local actors out of Mansfield, and it was a it was a fantastic weekend. It was it's a great, a really, weekend, really great it? weekend. So, yeah. should we put the put the listeners out of the misery at least? Let's let's introduce him by name. Well, his name is Alistair Natkeel, and uh, I first met him in two thousand and ten when he was performing in a um, you'll like this musical theatre. He was performing in a thing, <laughs> <laughs> performing in a in a, a production of Laughter in the Rain, which was based on the music of Neil Sedaka and. Uh, that was in Sheffield, and that was, I say, 2010. I've seen him in several things since. In, in fact, there's one one play he did uh, at Sheffield, Standing at the Sky's Edge. I saw four Thursdays in a row. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I went down to London, all the way down to a, a little pub theatre somewhere in south of London to see him in a production of uh, a play called Muswell Hill, and he was so good in it. He was you know, streets ahead of, well, I hope they're not listening <laughs> <laughs> Streets ahead of the other cast members, but I know that he did a lot of research for that role. And I, and as we found out with that weekend, he takes the business of acting seriously. He really does, and he's worked hard at it. And I'm glad that he's now reaping the rewards of his uh, his hard work and his talent. This is your guest, so we've tried this in series three. We've allowed you to do the introduction of the three things. Uh, are you ready to do this for for for, for Alistair today? Well, I'll do my best. Um, I haven't got the posh radio voice like what you've got. That's okay. We can't I'll all be as, as skilled and as talented as I. I'll do it in my best voice. So, Alistair Natkeel's Past Joy, Shrek the Musical in the West End, my first West End job after seven years of trying, in the present, new golf clubs and what they represent, an amazing 40th birthday present stroke weekend and the future a settled home life and the oscars
I'm really, really very happy to welcome you, Alistair Natkeel, to our little podcast. You grace us with your divine presence and not for the first time. I mean, I must say you've been very generous to Dobby and I in the past because you not only agreed to come and teach the Meisner class for us with some local actors here, here in Mansfield, but you then did us a free of charge voiceover for the yes. dog days thing we did about mental health and you you very kindly sent us a, a voice. You don't perhaps remember what no, we I did. No, I, I do yeah. remember for the show, wasn't it? About I'd completely mental, forgotten no, that. Health. Yes, it yeah. was. Yeah. So we've been, we're very grateful that you've come along to do the podcast now because, I mean, we just think you're a, a very special person. And Well, I do. I don't care what he thinks. But <laughs> <laughs> So we're starting with your three joys. We're starting in the past. I'll let you explain why, what it is and, and why you've chosen it for us. Okay. Uh, well, firstly, thank you for having me on. And that's very kind of you to, to say those very nice things. Uh, and also, what a lovely thing to, to do, um, as I was thinking about these things, to, to just focus on not necessarily just work or, or anything, but just happy thoughts and happy kind of memories and, and stuff. So my first one from the past is Shrek the Musical, which I did in 2012 to 2013 in the West End. I graduated drama school in from drama school in 2004 and virtually I, I didn't do a musical theatre course, I did a straight theatre course, but because I could sing and we, had to, we actually had a very musical year in general. So because of that, we ended up doing a musical in our final year shows, which didn't normally happen at our drama school. I got picked up off that. So I had an agent who was a really good agent, but kind of Pushed, pushed me to, for musical theatre straight away, even though I'd graduated from a straight acting course. So I'd been pretty much auditioning for musical theatre ever since. But because I hadn't trained in musical theatre, I can't, you know, I can't dance for toffee. And I was, and I was being put up for like, you know, ensemble parts in musicals that I wasn't ever going to get because I wasn't a good enough dancer. And then, you know, but but I wasn't going to get auditions for lead parts because I was only just out of drama school so long and short of it is over a course of seven years of auditioning for musical theatre and obviously I did other jobs um and did quite a few really nice things and you know a tour that where drew where you and I first met of laughter in the rain which was great some telly some some other plays etc so I had done some stuff but in terms of west end uh, you know getting into the west end this was seven, it was seven years in the in the trying um, through lots of heartache at times, lots of you know resilience, lots of nearlies, lots of disappointments, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and having to pick myself up and keep going. And so not only was you know it was theatre or Drew Lane, which was it's you know still the most incredible place I've ever worked, and it was kind of what it and it was a great job, made some amazing friends. Uh, friends who are, who who I'm still in very very good friends with now, uh, and had a great great time doing it. But it's more what it represents for me personally in terms of that persistence and that sticking with it and and keeping on trying and, and as I say dusting yourself off and going again uh, when you when you get a knockback in this industry. Yeah, so that's why Shrek's a very special time. And and there's a couple of moments, actually, in it specifically. There's one which was on the very first night. There's a, a routine called, a song called Freak Flag in the second act. And I, I, I'd struggled with the dance routine. The resident choreographer had been really happy with me. Uh, had been really kind to me, sorry, and come up to me when I'd had a bit of a meltdown about not being able to do this dance routine. And everybody else was having to learn, like six and they changed the tracks a little bit when I took over from the guy I took over from used to do loads of the dance routines and when I joined they changed <laughs> it all around so I didn't have to do as many but there was a couple that I had to do that I had to do story in my life I had to do freak flag and I had to do I'm a believer at the end of the finale so that was that I had to learn it and I was really struggling and everyone else had learned like five or six other routines and and I still couldn't get this one and she came over to me um, a woman called Pip Jordan who was the resident choreographer who was great she came and she said what's the matter and I said I just can't do this fucking thing like it's you know it's a nightmare and she said don't worry you're here for different reasons we haven't asked you to be part of this cast because you're dancing but we we trust that you can do it so I'd worked really hard and I'd got it right. And then on the first night, and I'd, I was nervous as anything for the whole show, really. But, you know, we did it and we came to the front of the stage, the very end, all arm in arm, the whole ensemble, all these fairy tale creatures as I'm playing a big bad wolf. And raise, raise your arms up, big finish. And as I looked out directly ahead of me were my, my brother, 
my brother's girlfriend at the time, now wife, uh, my girlfriend at the time, uh, my best mate and his wife, who were sat directly ahead of me in the, in the, in the circle at Drury Lane. And they jumped, they, all five of them just jumped to their feet and went ballistic, and as did the whole audience, because it was the first night, lots of friends and family in of the ensemble, etc. It was an amazing atmosphere. And that I'll never, ever, ever forget that memory, ever. Um, as I say, it was a long time getting there and um, and a lot of hard work went into it. So that will, that memory will stick with me, I think, I hope, for the rest of my life. And then the other one was the first night, because I understudied Lord Farquhar and I went on quite a lot because it was a really physically demanding role because you do it all on your knees. Anyway, this first time was a scheduled one. I knew I was going to be on. He was on a holiday and I was going to be on on a certain day. All my friends and family came, had about 40 people or something in the in the audience. And one of the girls said to me, she said, you're not going to be nervous with that many people there when you haven't done it before. And I was like, oh, hadn't thought of that until right now. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, God. Yeah, um, I wasn't going to be nervous. I wasn't, <laughs> and now I am. I was like, shit. So then just, again, stood behind, uh, knelt behind the curtain waiting to go on uh, for this thing and uh, so nervous. And then I started thinking, what the hell have I done? Why didn't I just like, get this one out of the way and then, you know, get everybody in for tomorrow night or whatever. Uh, but actually, as it turned out, it went really, really well. I couldn't have asked for it to have gone any better. So to the, to then have that experience and then, as I say, in the pub afterwards, have, you know, all, all that amazing support uh, was was brilliant. So, so the whole experience, as I say, w- was a very special one and for me represents something that I'm very proud that I've... Um, that I've done and achieved in my career. And a springboard to what was to come after, of course, in many ways. I, I, I'm i not blowing smoke up your what's it when I say all the times I've seen you on stage, I've never seen you in anything bad. I've never seen you give a bad performance. I came down to London to see you in a thing called Muswell Hill. In a, it was a pub theatre, I think, wasn't it? And, yeah. and you, you'd you researched that role inside and out. I mean, but but you are, you're very serious about the business of acting, aren't you? I am, yeah. I've definitely done some bad performances. Let's put that out. That's for sure. Um, I did. Yeah, but this is about happy things. We're talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I've got one story that's kind of happy and bad at the same time. So my, my brother got married in 2018 and I was in Edinburgh and it was all very, quite a bit last minute and I couldn't I couldn't make the wedding and it's that's something that will I'll always be gutted about that I didn't go to my brother's wedding but I did go and I got there at midnight so I did this show in Edinburgh legged it to the airport got the last flight down to London and surprised him his wife knew I was arriving but he didn't so surprised him at midnight basically partied all night and then got on a train back to Edinburgh and went back up to Edinburgh and did a show at 4pm. Now that was a bad performance. (laughs) 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 The punters did not get their money's worth that day. That was bad. I am am serious about it. I I do, I really um, have always just loved the work. And, you know, there's a lot of things that come with it that sometimes when you're in big shows or the lifestyle that comes with doing a West End show, for example, is it's lovely, you know, um, especially when, as we do, you and I, Drew, like a bit of golf, you know, you can go and play golf in the day and then head off into the West End in the evening. It's it's all very great. Like, so there's a lot of perks that come with it. But actually, for me, it's always been about the work. It's always just been about, and so that's why that role, you know, at a theatre in a pub uh, in Muswell Hill, it's a character with Asperger's. That role, just like when I read the play, I, I just loved the idea of the challenge of playing that role. So it didn't matter to me. I mean, we were getting paid properly, so that also mattered, um, even though it was a pub theatre. But, but it didn't, you know, I wanted to play the role and because that was about the, the challenge of the work. Um, rather than necessarily, you know, it being about a big in a big theatre or whatever. Um, and it and yeah, Shrek did. That was after Shrek, but Shrek has provided a bit of a spring. But as I said, it took me seven years to do one West End show, and then three years later, I'd done three. So it was like all of a sudden, you know, there were things like London buses that kind of come along. But then, I, but then after that third one, I, that third one finished now six years ago, and I haven't been back since. So. And I've been doing a few other things, but like, so it's, it has provided a bit of a springboard, absolutely. But, you know, it's still an up and down existence. Um, And there's still, you still get really busy periods and and times when it's not.
So we move on to your present joy, Alistair, and you've mentioned it in passing already about, you know, the actors who get time in the daytime to go out with the golf clubs and enjoy the fresh air. So your present joy involves golf. So would you like to tell us about that? Yeah, so my, my present joy, yesterday, in fact, I was up your way. I was beyond you in Gainsborough at the European Golf Club Fitting Centre at Ping, at the Ping headquarters in Gainsborough. Have you played the course there? No, I haven't. It looked nice. You should nice. go and play. It's really good. Maybe we should go and play. That's a good idea. Thanks. Yeah. Sorry, Dobby, you can come and carry the bags. <laughs> <laughs> One thing the listener may not realise is when we send an email out inviting guests along, it says very explicitly that we are not here to mock or make fun of our <laughs> guest choices. And so in the interest of honouring and showing integrity towards that email, I think it's very important that as we discuss golf, I remain in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, is that yeah. diplomatic enough for you, Drew? Yeah, well done. <laughs> Carry on, Alistair. So are you at Gainsborough getting these lovely new golf clubs? So okay, at Gainsborough getting these lovely new golf clubs. And I mean, it's a, it was an amazing experience for somebody who loves golf. You know, you have all your measurements done and you, they track your, your ball flight and your da-da-da-da-da. And it's brilliant. And they come up, hopefully, with a, a spec for you for, for golf clubs that really suit your golf swing. So I had that experience, which has sorted out for me through a contact of my, my dad, a guy who my dad's working with at the moment, who's uh, they're working on a golf TV programme, uh, or an idea for a golf TV programme anyway, and my dad's helping them. And, you know, as a bit of a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And it was uh, it was my 40th recently in March. And part of my present, and part, so yeah, Yesterday was arranged by by this lovely guy, Chris, through my dad, uh, for me to be able to have that experience, which was uh, amazing. But the reason why I picked the golf, and it's not about the golf clubs or golf specifically, it's more to do with the fact that they re- they are my 40th birthday present, these new shiny and, and no excuses now golf clubs uh, are part of my, you know, really generous birthday golf club fund that my mum and dad and my brother and his wife uh, and a couple of friends and my auntie uh, contributed to. And and the wider frame of it re- reminds me of my 40th birthday weekend, which uh, my girlfriend Kate was here, was living with us at the time. She's gone back. She lives in Bournemouth, but she was staying up here for a few months in Birmingham. And it you know, it was a lockdown birthday, a landmark birthday in lockdown. And she had been very conscious that she didn't want it to be a bit of a damp squib because the idea had been uh, that, you know, all being well with the national and stuff, people on that weekend, people would come and see the show and then we'd have a party the next day, whatever. So all that was planned and then that can happen. So she was very conscious that she didn't want the 40th weekend to be a, a damn squib. And, and honestly, it was one of the most emotional, unbelievable weekends of my, of my life, really. Uh, it was so special. And I think actually made it more special by the fact that I was in lockdown because I got, you know, some really, really generous gifts. Uh, Kate's taking me to Italy as a, as a trip later in the, in the year because both of us talked about the fact we'd never been to Rome. So we were going to go to Rome for a few days. I've got the golf clubs. I've got some amazing other gifts from, from very generous family and friends. But like some things, a couple of things that I've got that I will be able to keep forever that I, I just don't think I would have had in a normal situation of having a big birthday party. And obviously I would have had the memories of that, although I probably wouldn't remember much, uh, you know, but... Um, <laughs> may have taken a drink or two. Maybe, maybe one or two. So Kate put together a video with the help of my brother and, and my cousin. And they, you know, because she doesn't... We, Kate and I have only been together seven months. We got together in between the two first two lockdowns. And then, you know, I haven't been able to introduce her to family or friends at all so she doesn't really know anyone so she's trying to arrange this all this video for me with messages to say happy birthday but she doesn't really know any of my mates so so she got she enlisted the help of my brother who then helped her to get lots of people involved so I got all this lovely video uh, with some really great messages from all over the world and which was great from various friends in various different countries and all over this country etc really really emotional funny uh, piss-takey emotional heartfelt the works that was on the saturday then we had a, a great 
evening and stuff and we had a fun evening on the Friday on Zoom with some friends and then on the Sunday I was instructed to be in the lounge at 11am on the Sunday morning where my brother did a live radio show a This Is Your Life radio show where he'd asked my auntie my parents my other auntie Kate some some great old friends uni friends school friends um, my great friend Nick who's a who's an actor as well who's you know been friends and then they all chose a song that reminded them of me and our friendship or our time, you know, which was just brilliant. And then we spent the whole, you know, again, really emotional, really heartfelt and really just, I was in tears basically through the whole thing. Uh, hearing people say nice things about you—it's kind of weird, isn't it? You, you always feel a bit like, "Oh, I don't, am I? I don't think I am a nice person." <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you are. we don't know because nobody ever says anything nice about us. <laughs> so. <laughs> so that was just amazing. And then we had um, Kate had hired a hot tub, uh, and we spent all. So we listened to this, and so we had this kind of boozy week, boozy party weekend with the video and and lots of great food and booze and and then had this gorgeous thing on the Sunday morning and then uh, in the afternoon sat in the hot tub myself and Kate drinking a bit of bubbly and uh, and so the and so the golf clubs are my specific thing which remind me uh, as I say in this present moment right now have a wider sense of of that weekend as a whole and you know uh, what what makes me really happy I was a little bit you know I've moved back in with my mum and dad which is a bit weird when you're 40 years old, but it's, you know, needs must at this time. And when, when everything kind of kicked off in London, I was living in London on my own in a flat in Hackney. And I just, one email after the other, or one phone call after the other over a 36 hour period, all my work, I had loads of work booked in and it all just went. And I was like, oh God, this, you know, I've got to get out. I've got to get out of London. So I did. And I moved back in with mum and dad thinking it would be a couple of months maybe, or a few months. And obviously it's turned into over a year now and might well be a little bit longer but there was a little bit of me that oh, I'm turning 40 and living with my mum and dad and this and that but then Kate came along and things changed uh, and my happiness changed um, in terms of the you know my outlook on things and she just arranged her and my parents just arranged this most incredible incredible weekend uh, that as again I, I won't ever I won't ever forget and and those keepsakes of the video and the radio show that yes if we'd have all been together and had an amazing party that would have been amazing it would have been great um and I still might try and do one next year maybe but things like those messages that I've got from those videos and that radio show are things that I can keep forever and and always remind me of um, really lovely relationships and, and a really lovely 40th birthday. I turn 40 next year. I know looking at us both on the video, it looks like I'm well past 40 in <laughs> comparison. <laughs> Luckily, we don't use the video on this show. Uh, but I'm, I'm 40 next year. And I think uh, in the way you've just described that, Alistair, I, I'm going to have to make sure my wife listens to this episode in particular. And she's got a year to prep. Uh, not to buy the, your golf clubs, though. No, uh, no. Not the golf clubs. No, no, no. Uh, but but the, the, the way you just described those kind of messages and things coming in. And it is, it is difficult to take praise, take uh, positive thoughts, take, you know, um, well wishes at times. But when they kind of come thick and fast like that, and you can see these people from different parts of life, that must be really, really encouraging to kind of go, that guy from 30 years ago and that one from six years ago, and they're seeing something universal about your character. And Yeah, I guess. And it was just really, just really lovely and quite overwhelming. You're right. And it is because we're not, certainly as, as British people, we're very kind of quick to, you know, you know, we're bad at taking compliments I think yeah. generally yeah but I, I was yeah you're right I was put in a position where I couldn't not take a compliment I just kind of had to sit there and watch it but then having said that there was a, a lot of the videos were kind of quite offensive really <laughs> um, and you know I met who lived in New Zealand did this very funny one where he was just saying oh it's probably good that you're in lockdown because no one would have turned up to your party anyway you know that kind of vibe so there, so there was a lot of- <laughs> a good balance then yeah there's some balance in there yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so you know and mates kind of taking the piss out of me for old stories and all that all that kind of stuff so it was nicely nicely balanced and nicely put together a little bit of heartfelt a little bit of piss take but what's I 
think been important or what it really reminded me of I've always had a view on friendship like because of quite often not being able to go to things because of work you know not you you do you, as an actor you do you miss birthdays you miss weddings you miss holidays you, you can't you either can't afford to go because you haven't worked or if you if you are working you can't go anyway so you know a lot of that but I've always had a view on friendship if you're really good friends with people or someone you know if you were having a conversation and then they got at an airport, they got on a plane and went somewhere for 10 years and then flew back and you picked them up from the airport, that conversation could just carry on from where the exact moment where it left yeah. off and, and everything would be the same. And I've always felt that about good friendship. And and the videos and stuff just reminded me of that. that I've, I've, I'm very lucky to have some very, very good mates who I don't see very often. And certainly, we, you know, none of us have been seeing each other this year. But yeah, it was really, it was really lovely and a really special thing that I'll always that I'll always treasure. So sadly, Ali, we come on to our final section where we uh, ask you to look into the future and use your crystal ball to sort of foretell a moment of joy in your future. So what have you sort of landed on with your choice? I've kind of cheated and I've just given you two for the price of one because I've gone for family (laughs) and the Oscars. So yeah, fairly self-explanatory really I mean I guess I've um I've kind of I've always dreamed of big 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 success in in my work and in my career and you know I I genuinely believe like why not have the biggest of ambition and so even at 40 and and still in my eyes waiting for my big break as it were you know I, I still think I can get there I still believe I can I can hopefully um work at that level uh, right at the very very top of of the industry and and i mean i kind of you know it's not it's not about winning awards it's not it's just like i mean it kind of is but like it's a little bit a little bit um but but it's just about what that again what that represents like if you're if you're working at a kind of an elite like high high caliber level of the industry uh, and level of the work again if you're doing that as i bring it back to what i've always kind of really believed in um in terms of just doing the work then then that would be you know those kind of things that those are the 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 kind of things that maybe come with it and and that would be a a lifetime's worth of work and a lifetime's worth of dedication and persistence and and commitment and all that kind of stuff just the kind of pride that you could have and I'm very proud of what I've done so far and sometimes I I actually genuinely have to remind myself of that I sometimes have to because I spent a lot of my earlier years being a little bit like oh well he's done that and she's doing this and I'm only doing this which is nonsense really but we all I think we do it in all walks of life but certainly actors do it a lot you know that kind of little green-eyed monster that serves you no purpose whatsoever so I've been a bit guilty of that in the past and I have I, that's a little bit of an old habit that I still have to remind myself to to not be like and just be proud of what I've achieved and not know that it's not competition with anybody else it's just you know I, I'm kind of on my own journey and I'm and I'm happy and really really proud of everything that I've that I've done along the way well I'm maybe not proud of everything I've done work-wise there's been some in some stinkers but uh, you know <laughs> there we go uh, but uh, you know I, I, I'm as I say, I'm proud of where I am, but I've still got a lot career-wise that I want to achieve. But then I, there is more to life than a, than an acting career. And there's more to life than work, full stop, well, no matter what your career is. You know, good relationships and healthy relationships with friends and family. And, you know, actually, I'm really grateful that I've got to spend this time with my parents, for example, that I just would never have spent if in a normal time. So just to be really grateful for that and to just make sure that family-wise we're all as happy as we can be with our arguments and with our little spats that me and my dad have from time to time, etc. But, you know, a good family unit and continuing to to have good family relationships and good friend relationships through the rest of my life with, you know, family of my own at some point. And yeah, so so that's, the family's always been a huge, huge part of our all of our lives in um mine and my brothers we've we've got two cousins who are basically we've grown up with as, as like two extra brothers they've we've grown up around the corner from them and four boys all of a similar age I'm the youngest then my brother and younger cousin are two and a half years above me and then my elder cousin's two and a half years 
uh, older than them. So I've got four boys within five or six years, grown up together, always been a very big and tight unit. Uh, my other side of the family, my, my dad's side of the family, who lived down in, uh, in Middlesex. So it, it's who we see as much as we can. It's, it's always been something that's been very, very important to me. And I feel incredibly lucky to have had the support of that family and especially my parents, but the whole family. But my parents have been unbelievable in my... that I don't think I'd still be an actor if it wasn't for them, to be honest. Well, no, that's maybe not true. I would be because I wanted to be. But the, their support, and my dad always just says to me, in any dark days, of which there have been many, when you get really close to something and you don't get it, or you, you, know, you just start to doubt your ability or whatever, like it happens to everybody, I think. And he just says, look, you know, you're... You never heard of anyone who quit. That's what he always said to me. And and I go, oh, yeah, but... And he's going, no, but you didn't. So, yeah, you know, lick your wounds for a couple of days and then, you know, get back on the horse, get get out and get up and get going again. And there's, so it, you know, emotionally, they've both been... As I say, my whole family have as well, but my parents especially have been... A, and my brother as well has been... A, they've been emotional, huge emotional support financial support there's been a bit of that as well from time to time over the years um from my dad i'll probably i'll probably pay him back at some point uh, maybe, maybe that's when i can marry those two things up when i win an oscar i'll i'll be in a position to probably pay my dad back um, yeah. I, him. I think he stopped counting a while ago uh but <laughs> in, the, in the early days when i first moved to london you know, you're in your early 20s and it's hard. You don't, and people tell you how hard the career is going to be. You don't really learn that. And you can, you can only learn that for yourself because you kind of go, okay, right, yeah, it'll be hard. But then for me, I walked, I left drama school and within first six months of drama school, I'd done, you know, quite a few theatre things. I'd done a, three tellies, I think, or two tellies within the first six months. And I was like, everyone said it was going to be hard. Is it going to be hard? It's not, it doesn't seem hard. And then it came and bit me in the arse uh, afterwards. The next uh, got a bit cocky, as you can probably tell from that. Um, <laughs> and I didn't, I think it was 18 months or something, I didn't book anything for. And I got dropped by my first agent and et cetera, et cetera. So you're finding your way and you're also doing the most difficult thing, which is how to continue to pay the rent and have a life as well as trying to be an actor. And as I say, for me, that was a lot of restaurant work to start with and now it's more teaching and, and singing gigs, etc. But you're trying to figure all, all this stuff out. And when you're in your early 20s, as I say, there were, there were a couple of months where I just didn't have enough money to pay the rent. And I was very fortunate that my um, my dad was in a position to help me out. And then there's a couple of courses that I did that I that I really wanted to do and really have helped me. And I, I knew they would really help me, which again, I, had, I was very, very lucky to have that financial support from them to be able to help me out with those things as well as the emotional support so so yeah there's as i say there's a lot i feel that i still want to to try and do across both work and family life so that's why i cheated and chose two things you mentioned before that, that there's been sacrifice weddings birthdays and things how difficult has that been to manage particularly younger when you've got the fire in your belly and you you're trying to forge your head and you're trying to fill that cv how difficult is that to manage the balance of the family and the career do you know what i actually think it gets more difficult as you get older i think when you're younger people either maybe accept it more i mean as i say i i've never faced the backlash and to my to my brother's credit and tam his wife says she said god I, he's so understanding and he's so supportive of you and he's he's so like he is your biggest absolute biggest supporter i think like if he had taken a slightly different attitude she might have felt differently about it as well the fact that i wasn't going to be there and the fact that i i went to do this job instead of going or knowing that it would clash with their with their wedding and and I honestly there's not a day that whenever that gets brought up whenever the wedding is mentioned whenever I think about it I will always 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 regret not being at my brother's wedding of course not making that best man speech Uh, me and his I was co-best man with his best mate from school and we did a funny thing on uh, we filmed you know the two Ronnie's sketch where you they answered the question the answer from the question before yeah 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 
So we wrote a version of that for my brother, which went down very well. And, and I filmed a, a bit of a speech as well, which they played. So I, you know, but to not be there and to not have those memories. And when I see the photos and not in any of them, I'll always regret that. I'll always hate not being there. And I think earlier on in your, you know, cause you may, I don't know, maybe it was just me, but you're maybe not quite sentimental when you when you're a bit younger but it's it is difficult but as I say I've been really lucky in that generally people have been incredibly understanding about it and they've just gone okay well yeah fair enough we get it you can't you can't be there so so that's it, it it's worked out fine for me in the end that makes it easier to therefore manage that balance because you kind of been sent off to the work with their blessing yeah exactly and and that support and I do know of friends certainly uh, mates from drama school who who did, never got that kind of support never got that kind of understanding of it being okay to to miss out on certain things because and I think again I'm lucky that my parents were both you know come from the industry my, and my dad has had a, has you know had a pretty much aside from um, a few stints where he worked for the BBC but like He's pretty much had a freelance career his whole life. So he's been, he's missed things. You know, he was away for quite long periods when we were kids and stuff because he had to go away and earn money. So I've come from a family that is used to it uh, in terms of the work being this industry being a bit of a, you know, it's just a bit of a nightmare for that. Uh, And it does just take you away from certain things. And, but I suppose it's like any entertainment industry, you know, like, sportsmen for example they work on the weekends they're going to be missing weddings and birthdays and and stuff or sports people sorry not just the men um but um they they work when if your if your job is is something to do with other people's entertainment then your job is normally going to clash with other people's entertainment (laughs) you know Um, talking people who work do pantomime they don't have the best Christmases, do they? Let's be honest. No. It's a busy, busy Christmas. Yeah. Oh, you know, and yeah. I, I, I love Panto and I've done it. Uh, in fact, my first ever Panto was again, just down the road from you in, in Lincoln uh, when I just graduated from, from drama school that year. Um, and I, I mean, I absolutely love Panto. I've done it a few times. It's a, it's great to be working and earning good money over Christmas and having, and it's a great laugh, but yeah, you generally get, a day off so you finish you do a show Christmas Eve jump in the car you bomb it back to unfortunately Birmingham you know always trying to yeah, come it's back nice to and central isn't it's it? a good <laughs> central place it yeah. doesn't really matter where you are you've probably got two three hours max really from from wherever but I've got friends who you know for example Kate when she did uh, a panto when uh, a few years ago she was in North Wales and she, she lives in Bournemouth now she just couldn't get back. Like it was, it kind of wasn't worth it. It was like a seven hour drive or whatever. And they had a show Christmas Eve and then they had a matinee boxing day. Just, so she just couldn't get home. Whereas I've always managed to get home, but you, you know, you'll, you'll get that 36 hours off and you you get home, you get home late Christmas Eve, then you have Christmas day. And then you're back in the car at probably 8am boxing day morning to, to be on stage at lunchtime wherever you're going back to on Boxing Day. It's just one of those things. It's just it's just part of the part of the job and nobody really likes it. Every actors love to whinge uh, anyway at the best time, <laughs> as you know. But but then the, the the payoff hopefully then for you in the future is at some point on the news at ten, it's announced Academy Award winner Alistair Natkeel died today at the age of one hundred and seven. <laughs> oh I thought you could announce him winning the award, not killing no, him off. Um, this is the thing, he's it's he died at the age of one hundred and seven playing golf with his children and grandchildren at his side. You know that <laughs> that's the dream, isn't it? In a way, I guess. I'm not sure 107. I think I could probably, uh, I could probably let, let go a bit earlier than that, but I don't think anybody will want to see that. But yeah, and, you know, you've just got to do it. And it's, it's a tough, it's a tough industry. It's a tough career. And if you get the chance to a guy, it's so when I graduated, I got a job at Lincoln. It was called Phantom of the Popera. And as you can tell from the name, it wasn't the world's. Ooh, I missed that one. I missed that yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, I think most people did quite wisely. Uh, it wasn't that most high caliber show, but it was a great company. 
It was my first professional job. So I hadn't had to I actually hadn't had to audition for it. I, I was just kind of offered it off the back of my agent that I mentioned earlier, knowing the producer. And the producer said to him, "Have you got anyone who could do this kind of a role?" And my agent, my new agent, said, "Actually, I've just taken on somebody who's just graduated, and he'd be fine. He'd be great." And I, I didn't. I just went there for a meeting. Didn't even have to do an audition, which was kind of bonkers for your first job. And then uh, in that cast who was then in the panto as well that year. So I went there, did that show, and then I went back a couple of months later to Lincoln to do the panto. And he said, he said, you're going to spend, unless you're really, really lucky, unless you get right to the top, you're going to spend a lot of your professional life not working. You're going to spend a lot of your acting career not acting. Um, so when you do, in, like enjoy it, cherish it. And we do, because it is amazing. You know, going back to Sky's Edge, there's, that, that experience was unbelievable. And I feel very lucky that I got to be involved with it. So yes, the, you'd miss out on things, but you, it's something I want. I wanted to be an actor my whole life. And so, I, and I am being so, and I, and I have been. So you, you kind of, you can't, you shouldn't, I don't think grumble too much about the downsides of it, but the, but the downsides of it are very real at the same, at the same time. So it's just about um, being grateful for, for the opportunities that you get. And, and on those Christmases, for example, I'd always just be really grateful that I managed to get home. I had one Christmas I was away. I was in Holland doing a show and I didn't, I obviously couldn't get home at all. We actually even had a show on Christmas Day. And I was, again, it was a fun job, really good group of lads. Uh, it was a, it was an all-male cast. But I got very upset on Christmas Day in the evening when I went to bed because I, I, I hated not having got home, even if it's for a few hours, even if it's for like, as I say, 24 hours, just to get home, see your family and have that time. I really hated not being able to do that the year that I couldn't. So therefore, in the flip side of that, I just always just really... Rather than saying, oh, well, I've only got a day at home, I try and look at it as I've got a day at home. That's great. Because some, sometimes, one year, I didn't even get that. So this year I have. I've got one day at home. I'm going to love that day. And then and, and just try and, try and be grateful for it and, and look at it that way. I was thinking about our conversation with Ali and especially as he mentioned his 40th birthday and his golf clubs, his, his present choice. And I realised that had I gone to drama school when I should have, I would have been a contemporary of Ali's. <laughs> and I thought of that, no. No, I, I'd not at all. Even as we were talking, it was only in reflection after. And it just, <laughs> I don't know why, it just really struck me on, on as a reflection afterwards. He's such a lovely guy. And, and as you said in the intro... He has been so generous to you and I in yeah. so many of the ways. Uh, I'd completely forgotten about the voiceover for the Dog Days show as well. I know. Which yeah. was an absolute highlight of that particular show. But the, the Meisner weekend, coming and doing this podcast, uh, and yet again, just sitting and talking to somebody who's a professional in an industry that we have an interest in, and just sitting with us like a mate, like a friend, just sharing and sharing and talking away. A lovely conversation, Drew. Well, thanks. And <laughs> my, my, my thought is exactly you, you say the same, thanks, but, but it, it's, all, it's all Ali. The, 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 <laughs> I know. But, <laughs> but th well, I'm accepting thanks for inviting him. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. That's fine. Um, for me, he's he's always been a really lovely chap to know and to spend time with and, and to watch him work. And I just, I just so pleased that he's got that to that point in his career now when he's um, been recognized. I mean, mm. literally, you know, in the papers and, you know, he was in the, one of the biggest TV hits of the year. We probably didn't talk much about that during the thing, you know, with him being in line of duty, but that wasn't what he came to talk about. So no, and it's, it's not why we, why we approached him. You approached him no, as no. a friend, as somebody yeah. you've been supporting his, his, his work in his career over 10 years, uh, sometimes really. now. Yeah. yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a section that the you know folks listening at home didn't hear, yeah. but in that opening section, Ali spoke at great length about having worked in one of uh, Jamie Oliver's um, Italian restaurant off Covent Garden, I believe it was. Uh, well, and funnily enough, the 10th anniversary of that occurred just in June of 10 years ago. So I know really? we're now, I know we're going out a little bit after that with this podcast, but you know, around the time we recorded this was the 10th anniversary of wow. of me sitting in that restaurant. It only occurred to me later that that was when it was but uh, yeah one of the key things within that 
and this speaks into Shrek's that we'll, we'll start talking about his, his opening bit. Yes. One of the yeah. key bits in that, and that's why I'm bringing it up now because it wasn't part of the main podcast, but it, it's an important part is that once he, I think it was the Shrek job that he got and he had to make the decision of this is, this is the job. This is a career I've been training for. This is the yeah. thing. And he said something about not going back. So once he got that breakthrough of that, that kind of role and he'd been working anyway, he, you know, that's in the podcast. He talked about having other roles on TV or yeah. plays and things, but for that kind of first sort of milestone, that first marker of yeah. achieving in career, if you like, uh, most people uh, in a theatre context would have the West End as a marker, as a milestone, yeah. as a something to achieve. Almost um, an ultimate, an ultimate goal almost. For absolutely. And for some yeah. people that's probably that that's it as well. That's yeah. like, that is the, the top of the top for them. I think Ali's sights and his third go be above and beyond as well. Um, <laughs> but we'll get to that later. But he made a decision at the point of securing that role to not go back. Yeah. And interestingly, through all of his three things, uh, we've not done this for a while, but through all of his three things, that theme of of the balance between family and career is evident through all of that. And uh, it, it cost him things. And he talks about that openly, about his, his brother's wedding, uh, yeah. amongst lots of other things. But to, to get that first role, first West End role, and then go, no looking back. This is, I'm not going to earn my money in restaurants anymore, which have been really good to me. This is it. This is what I'm going to commit to. Uh, and that's, that's really inspirational and very grounded and very realistic. I think if, if I could, you know, if some of my old students could actually listen to this podcast, they'd probably learn more in the 40 or so minutes we spent with Ali than the two or three years they probably spent oh, with me in college. <laughs> well, I, I, I won't speak to that, but, I, but what I would say is I think what it proves, it's not about where you're from and what your background yep, is. Absolutely. It is just about your, A, determination, but also your your stick-to-itness, if that's not even, there's not even a word for that. You no, know, well, it's, it's the resilience. That, it, it, it's that resilience what, to just yeah. not get, and not say, well, okay, maybe next time. No, you fight for next time. You you do all in your power to make the next time something that comes along quicker than you just as you you know as you say. Oh, I'll just go back and wait tables or yeah. And we're not dismissing people who have done that because no, we're talking about Alistair and and Ali's attitude, uh, as you say, came across in that in all three of the things he spoke about that determination that the direction of travel was forward. And it's the work. It's yeah. not about fame and glory. And no. again, we could have found our way into getting lots of juicy gossip about line of duty. We yeah. could have done that. And it would have been, maybe we wouldn't have shared it in the podcast, but you and I could have indulged in that. And there was a little bit of chat about it that was in and around the, you know, the interview, if you like, but Ali didn't come with that agenda either. He, he came with the three things that he wanted to share, the three joys. And it was clear that, it's the work, the craft. He mentioned about parents when he was talking about family in the third section, he mentioned about their support emotionally and financially yeah. to, to do yeah. courses. One of which I, we didn't pick him up on it, but one of which I assume would have been the Meisner because he said he, he's done things that he knew would be beneficial to his career. So when he made that choice from Shrek, it meant that every other decision had to follow along that that was a commitment. Yeah. That was a, a dive in. That was the ultimate kind of moment of, all right, this is it. This is, you know, I've spent this time, this training, all the rest of it. This is absolutely it. Dive straight in. Uh, and then all those other decisions follow. How beautiful did his 40th birthday weekend sound? Sounded great, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it certainly did. I don't remember my 40th birthday. It was so long ago now, but 40 used to be at really scary age, didn't it? Yeah. Like if you hadn't, if you hadn't achieved stuff by 40, you were basically uh, might as well give up. But. <laughs> <laughs> But now, as I don't think that I don't think that's the same anymore. I think we impose these things on ourselves, but actually, in a wider sense, if you've got the determination, you've got the skill, if you've got the resilience, they don't care if you're forty or thirty-two or fifty-two. Hopefully, it's just they want that package, that skill, that attitude yeah. to to work with. And as, as you said, he, Ali's not scared of the work. No, and that ambition is still there. Yeah, you know, he 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 said. <laughs> It jokingly sort of, well, it's kind of about the awards, but it, it wasn't, you know, it, it's still, that, that was a kind of the, the, the sort of joking nod to the side, if you like. But the, the reality is, he, he, I think the words he mentioned was working at that level or, or words to that effect, wasn't it? So yeah, for yeah. him, those kind of awards, it, yeah, all right. 
it's cool. Everyone likes a bit of praise and a bit of recognition. But actually, Ali's way of presenting them to us really, if you listen to what he was saying, was it's a recognition of, or it's a, a, a it's a, an achievement of a certain level of work. Yeah, the yeah. recognition is because the level of work the level to of, get that award yeah. is, you know, and again, it's the work, it's the quality of it, it's the craft, it's everything that Ali was talking about. Isn't the greatest reward perhaps being the person that other people want to work with? You know what I mean? That sort yeah. of, he's a, oh, yeah, I can work with that actor. He knows yeah. his craft. He works at his craft. He respects the art form. That's how I see Ali. I mean, I, we did talk a bit about the, about the Muswell Hill play and I know how much research and effort he put into that role. And it was, it garnered him some really good reviews, you know, in a theater, in a, in a pub. As much effort went into that as to anything else that I've ever seen him do, I'm sure. And, and Ali said, here's a role I really want to have a go at. Here is a yeah. piece of work yeah. that I really want to throw myself into. And that's, you know, that's the measure of, of the man in that respect. It's no surprise then that his third thing was, was family yeah, and Oscars. That, the family thing, as you said, there's a, they've been with him all the way, haven't they? Yes. And that's, yeah. That, I think that's the the thing that sort of strikes you most is that he's there's so much of the work that you have to do making a way for yourself in 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 the business that you it's just you against the world sometimes. So to know you've got that network, to know you've got that the people you can pick the phone up but can actually go home to, yeah, in times yeah. and they'll just open the door and let you in and uh, yeah. You can see how very special that is. And there may have been some sacrifices along the way, things you've missed, events that you've missed, but there's gonna be a lot of happy times that they'll have in the future i'm sure and i know we talked a lot longer than this podcast will actually show but it was great so uh, yeah thank you from my junior partner in audio crime and myself thank you to ali natkiel for joining us on the sunshine freedom and flowers podcast and you brought with you three things that bring you joy your past which was shrek the musical in the west end your first west end job after seven years of trying your present which was new golf clubs and what they represent which was an amazing 40th birthday present slash weekend and your future a settled home life slash the oscars uh, don't forget <laughs> if you're listening and you've stumbled across this by accident you can find us on spotify google podcasts and itunes you can track us down on twitter at sff podcasts you can track us on instagram at sunshine freedom and flowers podcast and you can find us on facebook by searching for sunshine freedom and flowers and for series three episode five that's it drew what happens now well we say goodbye and then we come back next week with the final episode of series three. Let's do that. See so, you next week, everybody. We'll yeah. see you next week. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.